Please be advised, all music tracks used in this production are sole property of Kelson Communications and are original compositions. Thank you. Thank you for joining Philanthropy Infusion. I'm Michelle Woodard, your host and co-producer, bringing you honest discussions about current social issues and how philanthropy plays a key role in moving us forward. Listen in to accomplished philanthropists and social entrepreneurs talk about the innovative work going on today and how we can help. Philanthropy Infusion for new ways of giving. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Philanthropy Infusion, which puts the spotlight on equity and philanthropy and new ways to give. I'm Michelle Woodard, host and co-producer, coming to you from the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast, a Kelson Communications, Inc. production. I'm honored today to introduce you to our special guest, Coach Carmen Duncan. Coach Carmen is founder and CEO of Mission Accomplished Transition Services, which is a nonprofit organization that she established in 2012 with the purpose of helping students at the high school and college level, trade school, and students on a path to entrepreneurship remove obstacles that prevent them pursuing their dreams and entering careers they're most passionate about. And since founding Mission Accomplished, Coach Carmen has been successful in raising over $1 million for her organization now has eight employees to carry out the organization's mission. Coach Carmen earned her master's degree in social work and certificate in nonprofit management leadership from the State University of New York at Albany. She is a social entrepreneur, a philanthropist, and has received several awards honoring her leadership. She's also served as the keynote speaker at several events, including the 2016 Women's Fund, of the Capital Region Trailblazers Award in upstate New York, the 2015 Black Women's Association of Albany's Women of Distinction Awards, and the Women's Employment Resource Center's annual awards event. Coach Carmen, it's great to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's always interesting to hear about myself. Yes. Well, I was trying to keep uh, I was trying to keep the introduction as short as possible. You've accomplished so much uh, in 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 your career uh, so far. Uh, so I wanted to highlight all of your accomplishments, or as, at least as many as I could. So let's get Thank started. You. Yes, you're welcome. Let's let's get started. Really, just talking about mission accomplished transition services in which like how just the really the fundamentals like how did you even come to choose that name and what has been your path that's brought you to founding mission accomplished i selected the name because i felt that i accomplished my mission against many odds that i experienced and the transition services piece, uh, just the transition of life and wanting people to feel the message that you can accomplish a mission during, during transitions. And we all know that a lot of times transitions are not the easiest thing because you're in this place of unknown and you know what you want, but you're trying to figure out how to how to get there, but it's possible to accomplish your mission as long as you keep going. And so you mentioned just certain events um, that you went through in your life. Were there points in your life that you felt that you wouldn't be able to make transitions or get to where you are today? And did you have people and mentors in your life that helped carry you to this point where you are today? Absolutely, and uh, and Mission Accomplished certainly is the heartbeat of my life experience with mentors, coaches, and, and sponsors in my life. Um, I am someone who had a very unique upbringing. I lived in a small village. I lived in the suburbs, and then I, I lived in the city. My life started out in a city. Uh, Poughkeepsie, New York, and when I was a high school student, I moved up to Albany, New York with my, with my father, and what led me to moving up here was because I was starting to get into a lot of trouble uh, back home in Poughkeepsie. There was a lot that was going on. 
and my family at that time. Um, my grandmother was sick. Uh, there were other family members who were who were ill, and I was also starting to see some of the dysfunction within within my family. And I'm the youngest, so I definitely am spoiled, and I definitely was spoiled. So, um, you know, I I was able to see and experience all things that come along with being the spoiled youngest child <laughs> at that time. Anyway, <laughs> I was the youngest. Um, but then, you know, once you once you start to step into your teenage years, you become more aware of of what's of what's going on, um, and I was not an emotional person, so I started fighting a lot, and um, a situation transpired that frightened my mother, and she made the decision to send me up to Albany, New York with my father, and within a short time of me living up here, um, my dad was sentenced to several years in prison. Uh, my brother was sentenced to seven years to life. One of my brothers was sentenced to seven years to life, and my boyfriend at the time was sentenced to 15 years. And I became homeless, and I no longer was standing in um, those special shoes of, of being spoiled and not really having to uh, worry about much uh, too often. So my life was flipped upside down. Um, and although, you know, there was some dysfunction in my family, you know, I, my grandmother made sure that we were, um, or let me say I, I was brought up on very good values and my parents as well made sure that I was brought up on very good values, very respectful, um, uh, but there were things. So that time in my life when... I was homeless. Uh, there were people who who took a liking to me. They seen my potential. Um, they also clearly seen that I was lost. I thought that I was putting on a good front of like, I got this and nothing's going on in my life. But uh, now that I am an adult, I recognize what they seen <laughs> that I thought I was masking. I was putting a, I was putting a mask on. Um, and into my young adulthood, you know, I just had people who believed in my vision for my future, and they made a conscious decision to invest their time, talent, and treasure into my dreams and aspirations. And I believe coupled with my family's support is the reason that I am where I'm at today. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's an incredible story, and I absolutely can see the great strength and resilience in you, uh, having gone through what you went through, and really puts more focus on where you are today and the services that you now provide to help people and young adults going through some of what or all of what you have been through. I just wonder, along those lines, did it take some time for you to trust those adult mentors and let them in? You know, as you said, you were kind of like, you know, I, I got this. I don't really need anybody's help. I'm good. You know, like what was the pivotal moment for you um, with if you did have those, those trust factors kind of keeping people at arm's length? What was the pivotal moment for you where you said, you know what, I really am going to let people in and kind of accept their leadership and their guidance and their help? With one individual, her name is Kimberly Baker, and she is still a guidance counselor at Albany High School in Albany, New York. She never pried. Like, she never asked a whole bunch of questions. She was just there, and I wasn't on her caseload. She was my best friend's guidance counselor. And with public schools, guidance counselors can easily have a ratio of one to 457 students. Wow. And my, in Albany High School, every year starts out with somewhere between 2,300 to 2,500 students. So that tells you that she had a, a big caseload. 
she never made me felt like I was a burden. She always made me felt like I was worth it and worth her time. And as a result of her showing up in the way that she knew that I needed her to, I ended up accessing additional resources. So essentially because I trusted her, any resource that she connected me to, I trusted. And it really had a lot to do with the fact that she did not ask a lot of intrusive questions. She was just there. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like just her being there and, and you feeling that she did care and that when mm -hmm. you were with her, she, it was all about you. Like her time was focused. She was very present. And mm -hmm. that really helped you to open up. Um, it also sounds like, you know, um, it, it, maybe those are some of the, of the qualities and some of the skills that you have learned and taken into your life and your business and your world now um, that maybe you offer to other people. Yes, for sure, for sure. All of my mentors and coaches, I feel like I have a piece of them in my coaching and mentoring um, framework. I don't know if I really have a framework, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I do believe that there are pieces of how they how they showed up for me that show up in the way that I show up for people and the way that I expect for my team members to show up for our students. Because, mm -hmm. you know, some of my mentors are very influential people here in the capital region of, of New York and they always made time. So for me, I always come from a standpoint of if these individuals were able to make time for me and I see them now still making time for, um, for the next high school student or the next you know, young, young adult, they continue to do that. There's no reason why some of us who may not have as much on our plate are not able to show up very similarly to the way that, that they do. No one is meant to be a carbon copy of somebody else, but I do, I do believe that we do have to pay attention to that. And as you said, showing up and just being present truly does make a difference. So let's, mm -hmm. let's kind of, let's stay on that with as far as like what you have learned and gained um, from other people in your life that you've let in and how that translates now into the Mission Accomplished Transition Services core mission, which is really focusing on career readiness, right, in today's world. Mm -hmm. And we're hearing a lot about workforce career readiness just in today's business world. What, what exactly is that to you? What, is, what does it mean to you, the workforce career readiness, and, and how is Mission Accomplished unique in this space? When I hear workforce career readiness, I immediately think of how can we break the traditional ways of how we expect people to show up for work. And I believe that this pandemic pushed people outside of their traditional mindset. Most times when you look at career readiness language, uh, career readiness program language, it, there's just, there's a lot of traditional expectations of how people need to show up. And one piece that is missing is the cultural aspect within the lives of the very people that companies or people within companies are recruiting. And I, I, I truly believe it is important 
to incorporate authentic cultural competence within workforce readiness training programs or mentorship or coaching, anything that has to do with helping people get ready for, for a career. Um, I, I hear, you know, human, like how can we be human-centered while also expecting people to do their work, but how can we be human-centered and not, um, I guess, lack, for lack of a better term, be um, robotic in what our expectations are. Because what the expectations were in 1973 cannot be the same expectations that we have mm -hmm. in 2020. The world mm -hmm. has changed. Uh, however, there are a lot of programs where it's like, well, we've been doing it this way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we so we need to so this is it it's worked. We feel like it's worked. And so we're just gonna keep doing it this way, but it's like, you know, have you have you looked at some of the exit interviews of some of the people that you wish would have stayed? Um and and I feel that workforce career readiness training, mentorship, coaching is a two way street. It's it's not just about the person that is seeking to transition into into that role. It's about facilitating our relationship based on understanding. So that's a very, and, very unique and interesting concept. I want to just jump in for one second while we're on the topic. So that's a unique concept is it's a two-way street. So at the same time that you are uh, coaching and mentoring and sponsoring young adults, you are also educating companies on and having them maybe take a look at their recruiting processes and how they um, can kind of move forward or just, as yeah. you said, be a bit more current. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that a little bit more is what, what would be uh, a good message for a company that their, their recruiting processes are maybe a little antiquated? Um, how would you approach a company like that, engage a company in, in a discussion on that topic? Well, certainly questions around what, what are you really looking for? Are you looking to check the box? <clears throat> or are you truly seeking to have a culture shift? And listen to what people have to say and what's needed. And one example that I will share is, you know, I have walked into an office, and I am, I'm a black woman, and I have locks in my hair. I have walked into offices, and there are pictures, majority of white men and blue or gray suits, and everyone just, you know, looks very similar. If I'm interviewing for a position and I don't see myself, I might continue in that interview out of respect, but that's not a place that I would want to work. I don't see myself. You know, so that, those are the two questions that I mentioned in the beginning are two very important questions. Because if you're looking to just check a box, then I'm not, I wouldn't be the person or the people within my team would not be the individuals that you're working with because then that means that we would be placing our students in a emotionally harmful work environment because it's clear that they are not represented and their history is not um, uplifted the way that another group's history is uplifted. Mm -hmm. And usually when you see people on the wall, it's because they did something great within the company, you know, uh, years ago. Yeah. Um, or yeah. even current, but usually if you see a picture of someone, they, they had a, a huge positive impact. On the, on the company or that particular location, um, whatever it may be. So those are definitely two areas of conversation that we would need to have. Have you worked with a company that you established a relationship with, you worked with them, 
and just was, I don't want to say walked away because if you maintained the relationship, but kind of um, walked away one day saying, wow, we're, because of this relationship and because of this partnership with this company, the company is really making changes. Like they've listened, they've been open to feedback um, and some suggestions, and, and you've seen that they've really made some progress uh, in, in that direction of, you know, say recruiting um, and just making a workforce a bit more diverse. Yeah. Um, I haven't worked with the company specifically where we have referred students to be hired, but locally a woman by the name of Susan Ungerman, who owns Ungerman Electric, has been very intentional about including women and including black and brown people in her workforce. And, and she's done that very intentionally with, by asking questions and by taking action. And I, I, she's, she's an anomaly. She's an anomaly. As we, we, I'm sure you hear it, you've heard it, you know, like we want to diversify, we want to diversify, but it's like let's, let's hire these people and make them fit into our square. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like it that that doesn't that doesn't work. That doesn't yeah. work. There's some people where mm -hmm. it works, but are they uncomfortable coming to work every day? So mm -hmm. I would certainly say that that Susan has done a great job at asking the appropriate questions, sometimes um encouraging uncomfortable conversations in order to change the in order to change her workforce. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that that is encouraging. Uh, always encouraging to hear uh, those success stories. That consider them mm -hmm. a su success mm -hmm. when people are really open and uh, they they say they want change and then they they make they make it happen. Mm -hmm. So that that's encouraging. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that encouraging story mm -hmm. um, reality. <laughs> um, so looking at, looking at your website, I, I see you highlight three pillars, so coaching, mentoring, sponsoring. Um, and you've talked, uh, uh, you know, about in really um, profound uh, work that you're doing um, maybe outside of these three pillars, um, which I didn't realize, and I've had a few conversations with you. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy to hear that that whole other dimension of just working in, in concert with people and companies in the, in the community, if we're looking at what services you're providing to the young adults um, along those three pillars, can you talk more about those three pillars and the importance of each to the workforce career readiness? Absolutely. My favorite thing to do. So, because <laughs> <laughs> coaching and mentoring is, are used interchangeably and they are not the same thing. So, okay, well, coaching, <laughs> coaching is focused on a particular goal and particular action steps to achieve that goal. Where mentoring is not as structured. It's more of you come to this person, you have a question for them, you have a conversation about it, and then you move on. But there may not be any documentation that is, uh, that, or um, in-depth documentation that, that uh, takes place as a result of that relationship. And then sponsoring is when someone of influence um, and someone who has who has access to resources are willing to open their little black book in their wallet. I know we don't carry a phone book anymore, but I still use the I still use the analogy. But they're willing to open up their their um their Rolodex to connect you with influential people, influential opportunities that you would not necessarily have known about 
uh, it actually might have, or you may know about it, but it's such a competitive process. Like it's, it's the whole process of, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Uh, the, yeah. sponsorship, the sponsoring relationship allows for you to get that extra foot in the door. Um, and that person, the sponsor, may also pay for your participation in a conference or a workshop or if you do not have some of the resources um, or supplies and equipment that you may need in order for you to be successful in a particular uh, position, then that person may purchase that for you or identify a company that would that's able to give you the supplies or equipment at, at a lower rate. So coaching is very results, action oriented. Mentoring is informal relationship, whether it's personal or professional, and sponsorship is opening doors to opportunity and sometimes financial resources. So that was a, a great explanation and uh, some examples. So uh, I'm a lot more clear on what those three uh, pillars are and how they differ. So let me ask you this. You mentioned that the sponsoring is a competitive process. How challenging has it been for you uh, to secure sponsors? For the company? For the company. It, it's, been a, it's been an interesting journey, Michelle. <laughs> interesting <laughs> journey. Um, it's not easy because, you know, we're, we're a young organization. We're nine years young. Um, and I take on a unique perspective on how things need to get done. Uh, I'm also a very vocal person, and sometimes the things that I say do not make people feel comfortable. Um, and also, we have, you know, we we have a small team, so all of the data and the beautiful marketing materials and the opportunity to be out all at, at when we were outside on a regular basis, um, to be present at a lot of networking events or, or events, you know, professional events so that people continuously see your face and hear you talking about what it is that you do. We don't have that resource. You know, we're, we're boots on the ground majority of the time. So, you know, there are organizations that have people who have people that are hired to make sure that they are always visible or providing those marketing materials. We don't, we don't have that. You know, we're able to hire, con hire consultants um, who do incredible work for us, but the reality of it is, is that they're not, the they're not a part of the fabric of the organization. So, mm -hmm. it's, so it's a little bit different. Um, and as a result of that, it, it makes it hard for us to secure uh, sponsor dollars or grant grant funding at at a high level. You know, a hundred thousand or you know three hundred thousand or five hundred thousand um, dollars or more, a million dollars or more, um, like some of these larger organizations are able to get and. That's because they have people who, you know, their their primary focus is on making sure that the company looks good enough to be seen, um, or you know, they have a PR person to make sure that they are in the media, um, and so those are the companies that end up getting the higher level dollars, where organizations like Mission Accomplished may get, you know. Five thousand or ten thousand dollars, but sometimes we're not seen as mature enough to be able to handle a higher level of um, funding, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. You know, mm -hmm. because most majority myself and other people who have been hired and are currently working with organization with with Mission Accomplished Transition Services. We're boots on the ground, and we're the people that a lot of individuals trust, you know. And Mission Accomplished is not just a um, a organization that is providing 
the coaching, mentoring, and sponsorship services, we are also an economic engine where we are hiring people, which, it, which ultimately means that they're receiving a paycheck, which ultimately means that they're feeding their families with, with that paycheck, which ultimately means that they're having an impact on the economic viability within the capital region of New York. Uh, but it's a, it is a challenge. And is it, would you say it's as much of a challenge when you are asking people to connect you with people in the community um, for the purpose of perhaps paying for an educational training or a seminar or opening up their checkbook? I mean, is, that, is there a little bit of a difference there? Um, I guess I'm trying to get at, too, like what, what's the comfort level of the people that you approach to say, open up your Rolodex and try to connect to me with people that might want to support our mission once they learn about the great work that we're doing? Mm -hmm. I would say that people definitely connect, mission, connect me to individuals who want to support the organization. But for those people who are in the position to make a higher level um, investment, financial investment, we are not old, we are not old enough for them. The company is not old enough for them okay. to want to give that dollar amount. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and some, said, or sometimes it, it may be it may be a data thing too, where it's like you know what what does your data look like? Um, can you share with me whatever it is that they may they may ask for? And there may be times where I don't I don't have that information as quickly as another organization might have it. It's like okay, I know I collect data but I don't have someone that's sitting back at the office mining it for me on a regular okay. basis. So it's yes. going to take a little time for me, to, for me to get this information to you because I'm not only focused on this data. When I go back to the office, I'm also working. You know, like mm -hmm. I'm the CEO of the organization. I'm the chief coach of, of the organization, but I also help with program delivery um, amongst other things. So it makes yes, sense. Yeah, know. It's the data, the mining of the data, and just putting it together in uh, in meaningful ways um, and meaningful mm -hmm. to potential sponsors is very time consuming. And if that is you, if that's your time having to do that, it's also time that then it is taken away from you providing those direct services and overseeing your organization. Exactly. So I, I can see that catch twenty two there. Um, yeah, and and data data speaks volumes. People want to see data. Funders want to see those numbers. They want to see results. They want to see how the money is is making an impact um, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and an organization's reach. So I can definitely yeah. see where there's, as you said, a catch-22 there. Yeah. And that's an, and it's, and at, time, at times that's unfortunate. And I love, I'm a, I'm a statistic, I'm a, I'm a statistics lover, right? So I certainly developed a love for research methods, so much so that I was a research assistant for two different projects uh, right out of, well, during grad school and then um, after grad school. So I understand the importance of data. But sometimes if you see that an organization is doing the work, uh, you literally can go on social media now and go to um, and and go to the to the page of, of certain organizations or to the leaders of those organizations, and you can see that they're doing the work. So it's like if you see that this organization is is strapped for for human capacity to make sure that the that the numbers on the paper are delivered to you. Trust that they're do that they're doing the work because you have some of these larger organizations where they're able to get that data out, but are they truly having a positive impact? But those are the organizations that will continue to get the money because they have the people to tell the, the data-driven story. Mm 
Yes. Have you noticed any change or, or shift at all um, since the pandemic was declared in March of 2020 with the, uh, I don't want to say, the, well, maybe with the requirement for the data points uh, for um, results um, and even for grants for general operating expenses, which I know is not always the most favored or the most common way mm -hmm. grant makers mm -hmm. give. Um, have you mm -hmm. seen any change in, in any of those areas as a result of the pandemic? I have, um, in particular with the United Way of the Greater Capital Region, I am, and also the Community Foundation of, of the Greater Capital Region. So those two uh, foundations have certainly made some changes in order to make it easier for organizations, um, for organization leaders such as myself to be able to apply for funds and, and be funded. And so um, just to kind of going back to the pillars that we were talking about, which took us to sponsoring and, um, and then and on to funding, um, I do want to go back to uh, we, you and I had a discussion um, about your uh, intentional decision, right, to pivot to an industry-specific service approach. So right mm -hmm. now um, you're focused on fashion, construction, event planning, and the development of social entrepreneurs. What was behind mm -hmm. your decision to focus on these four key industries? With fashion, I made the decision to attend local fashion events and ask questions at if people had an interest in being in the fashion industry, working within the fashion industry and the type of careers that they would like to they would like to own within the within the fashion industry. And what I found is we have a lot of students who come to the capital region who want to be a part of the business behind the fashion industry. Um, so we have 17 higher education institutions here in, in the capital region. And on almost every campus, you will find that there is a student group or more than one student group that produces a fashion show. But the schools do not have fashion programs because we're not considered an area that is fashion-focused. So me having the opportunity to have these conversations with people and continuously seeing these fashion shows, including a lot of charity fashion shows, I imagine that you probably have attended some of the charity fashion shows. It was a, it was a light bulb for me, where it's like they're, they're, people have to be loving this fashion piece, but they have absolutely no idea how to create a movement around it. Um, so we're going to do it. We're going to create a career education program that is focused on the business behind the fashion industry and, and support people with creating those positions here while thinking like a global professional and acting as a global professional, but staying here. So the intel stays here in the capital region, even though they might be traveling. Um, and then when it comes to construction, you know, you, you don't see a lot of black and brown people on construction sites here in the capital region. And I want to see more black and brown people and women on construction sites and having those uh, skill sets to be able to rebuild our and, and their communities. And when I say our, I mean 
you know, the communities where you see a lot of black and brown people living. And when it comes to the urban communities, you see dilapidated buildings. And I imagine if people have an electrical trade, if they have a carpentry trade, if they're steam fitters, if they're plumbers, people will purchase those dilapidated buildings for $10,000 or $15,000. And then they are able to build it themselves. Yes, absolutely. Talk about, absolutely. Talk about pride. Right? Yes. And power. It's powerful. Yes. To walk past a building and say, I did that. And I, I, There's I wanna, power in that. I, I, there is definitely power in that. And I, I want to stop you here and just jump in because I want to hear your thoughts on this. It's just the trades, right? So you talked about you focus on that and just a need for that in today's world, mm -hmm. right? So, mm -hmm. you know, people, mm -hmm. you know, electricians and plumbers and, and um, you know, people in construction and traditional education is not for everybody. And exactly. we and we as a society have such a need for all of these trades. How is this being packaged to young people today, right? So, you know, when I was growing up and going through high school, the trades, and there were very a whole lot fewer of them was at BOCES. And there was such a stigma attached mm. to a student that would go to BOCES. Um, mm -hmm. how, where, how, where are we now with that? How are, how are the trades being packaged and, and kind of marketed to young students? Uh, hopefully it's without that stigma. But, um, and how, are, like, how is that really pulling students in who really don't or are not interested in, our, in following the traditional educational path. Mm -hmm. I believe that it's the same as what you, what you experience. And it's unfortunate because, you know, one thing that you, that you just said was tra traditional college is not for everyone. That's what you said, right? Yes. And loans are not for everybody. Not everybody wants to pick up a college student loan. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's you know, right? How many of us? Loan. Somebody would have said, and they stay with you for a very long time. <laughs> yes. So you're like sixty. So, well, imagine if somebody said, you know, you can become a carpenter, and they're so the carpenters do so much. So you can you can become a carpenter and get paid as an apprentice to become a, um, uh, the term is escaping me, a journeyman or a journeywoman as a carpenter. And then once you get there, you have the potential to make between, you know, sixty to $100,000, depending on where you're working and, and the type of carpentry that you're, that you're doing. But you have this potential to make this type of money. And then once you're 25, 26, then if you want to go to school, you go ahead and go to school, but you're making the money to be able to pay for it. And matter of fact, your union just might give you some type of college tuition reimbursement. Could you Great imagine point. if it was back like point. that? Yes. No, that, that all, all good points. And I think those are the points that maybe young people don't understand. Uh, well, they're not, I mean, they're not expected to unless they, somebody sits mm -hmm. down and, and has that discussion with them and kind of talks through that with them because, again, that's, if you think about it that way, that's also a very powerful statement. People can, and, and can learn a trade and make a, a very, very good salary, enough to support themselves and their families, and then at some point, either through their own company or the union or the salary mm -hmm. that they're making, if at, mm -hmm. at some point in their future they want to pursue some kind of college courses or uh, a college degree, they have the means to do it. Exactly. And they might just have a company that's willing to give them college tuition reimbursement. So you might not yeah. even be paying for it. That exactly you right. Know, it's, yeah. <laughs> Clearly I get all passionate about this. But, yes, I can tell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but one of the most the outside of the financial aspect of it is just, you know, you for you to walk by a house or a commercial building and say, I was a part 
of bringing that into my into my community. And I only live a couple of blocks from here. You know, like there's just a different sense of 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 ownership when you're a part of the process. Yes. Yes. And, and um, you know, and 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 as you said, you're it's you're part of the process, part of the the immediate community and there's so much more of a bond there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's so many individuals. They build things all the time. I mean, you got to think about IKEA. IKEA is, IKEA is, their business model is built on giving people furniture that they have to assemble themselves. And you said that's purposeful? I believe it is. I mean, they, 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 have, a, they have a specific audience. Um, and the people who purchase from IKEA, we know that when we purchase these items, we're going to have to assemble them ourselves when we get home. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, there's there's a direct connection to that. If the, if a company like IKEA has been able to sustain itself for so long, clearly people like building things. Some some people do. Some people do, and yeah. and, and that's you know again that's uh, kind of in that line of you know, being having that mechanical skill and the way, you know, your brain thinks mechanically. So let me let me yeah. ask you this. With getting involved with young students, is it better to get involved at an at early age as possible or is it more high school level? I believe that it well, before I go there, because I, I I got all passionate and we got into this conversation, I just want to finish the the why as to um <laughs> the reason that I focus on those particular industries. So with fashion, okay. it was because there's a lot of fashion. There's a lot of students who move up here. They're going to college up here, and they produce these fashion events. And then from a community level, there are individuals who are not in college, and they're also producing a lot of fashion shows and fashion-related events. Um, I believe that the audience has gotten a clear understanding as to why construction. And then with event planning, there are a lot of students um, as well as community members who are producing community-driven events or community-focused events on a continuous basis but may not realize that they can get paid as an event producer. Um, and then social entrepreneurship. I just really believe that when it comes to building a business, Every business should have should be attached to some type of social justice issue that they are helping to decrease or combat in in some form or or fashion, and that is the that is how we got to the industries or career paths that that we currently focus on. Okay, great, great, thank you. And oh, <clears throat> social entrepreneur. What what is what is your definition of social entrepreneur? Now that you just mentioned, that's one of your uh, industry specific uh, focuses. An entrepreneur who is driven to address social problems within their immediate or national or international community. Therefore, they make a decision to establish a business that will not only generate revenue, but will also highlight a particular social justice issue, and they make a commitment to doing something that supports mitigating that social problem, whether it be they're donating money, they're donating services, or they're donating products. And as far as working with young adults, getting back to that question, so you have these industry-specific service approaches that you have uh, intentionally focused on. Just at, at what point in a young person's life do you make a connection, right? So people, as you said, they're hearing about event planning. Maybe somebody never knew they could. They like to plan parties and, um, you know, create nice events for, you know, companies mm -hmm. or people, but they never knew they could do this for a living. So mm -hmm. do you think it's more important, like at what age are you making connection with these young people and these students, and do you think there's any difference or importance at connecting with students at an earlier age? 
When you say earlier age, what are you thinking? I mean, I'm thinking middle school. Okay. I would say it depends on the it depends on the student. I believe that every student should yes be exposed to as many opportunities as as possible. They should know that they are able to pursue absolutely any career they want to. But when it comes to truly providing that intensive coaching and, and mentorship, it really it, it depends on the student. Um, but I would definitely say when it comes to high school, that 11th, 12th grade year is pivotal because that's the time where you're like, what am I going to do when I get out of here? So to have someone that's really helping you with creating some sort of a tra transition plan to figure out what's next is really important. Uh, and then, of course, into that 20, you know, the 20 to 30 age range of supporting individuals. And as you know, we go up to 35. But I would say exposure, heavy exposure for the middle school student, um, support and guidance, that mentorship and coaching piece for the high school student, and then continuing that into the adulthood. Mm -hmm. That makes complete sense. Um, let's turn the topic to leadership. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about, you've mentioned some of the struggles with perhaps uh, you know, going out there, making those connections, getting sponsors and, um, and, and you know, funders uh, for, for your mission. What are some of the other struggles that you've experienced as a result of being a CEO and a community leader? People not taking me serious. I am a very humble individual. There are times where I don't even say that I'm the chief coach and founder of the organization. I will just say that I am, that I work with the organization. Because I, I, don't, I don't want people to respond to my title. I want them to respond to and respect me for the knowledge that I bring into the room. So, you know, I look younger than I am, and I am a humble person. So um, some people take that for granted. And also we're not, you know, Mission Accomplished isn't a, a large company. Um, and some people really not caring to, not really caring to, to learn more because we're not a larger organization. But I would say the, the top one is people not taking me, me serious. Do you find that after you've had an, or had an opportunity or created an opportunity, to sit down with somebody face-to-face -face that may not be taking you seriously or think that your organization is too young, have you had the chance to change somebody's mind? I believe so. I believe so. Um, but I haven't. I have to think for a moment. <laughs> I believe that that has happened. I can't pinpoint a time. Um, actually, I can. Uh, there was someone that I met some time ago, and she just wasn't really sure what we what we did. But I feel that she must have took me serious enough to want to have a conversation with me. You know, so there was something that intrigued her to want to have a follow-up conversation. Mm -hmm. So I guess I, I have to go back to, I don't know. I, I don't know, but I imagine that I have because I, you know, people respect me. Um, there are people who respect me. There are people who defer to me uh, when it comes to career 
career development and business development for for young for youth and and young professionals. So, you know, that there are people within this community who certainly respect me um, in the position that I am and and as the subject matter expert that I am. Um, but so there's those outliers that that don't, which is fine because mm -hmm. there's there's always opportunity to show someone um, that you are serious and passionate about what you do, and at some point they come around without having to uh, flag a flag to say, "Look at me, look at me." You just you just do your work and you keep going and show results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think your work will speak for itself. If not now, mm -hmm. then in a year from now or two years from now. Um, I, you know, and as you said, if, if somebody is keeping an eye on you and, and your organization and the work that you're doing, um, and some people may do that. They might watch you and maybe, you know, they, you're getting to like a 10 or 15 year um, kind of track record where that might be somebody's more in somebody's comfort level. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that may happen as well. But there, you know, that, that's where you your work will speak for itself. And... Um, as time goes on and you build on those successes, um, hopefully, you know, that will start to, uh, those challenges will start to uh, to drop off a little bit more. Yeah. I think the challenges will always be there. It's how you handle it. Mm -hmm. You know, because everyone will not, everyone won't believe in you, and that's okay. And I, I will never work twice as hard to make someone a believer. I'm mm -hmm. just going to do what I know that I do, and I know that I do a good job at it. And that is that, that would be sage advice that I would give to a rising uh, CEO, that, yes, you, you do want to, there's a, there's a certain level of impression that you want to make, and you, you do want to have a presence when you walk into a room so that, so that people kind of have that look, well, like, well, who is that? Or when you're sitting at a table, you, you did the questions that you ask or the responses that you have, it, it, it sparks conversation um, or, you know, encourages people to, to think. But you do not, do not kill yourself trying to prove yourself to someone who's not even trying to put in a little bit of effort to truly understand who you are and the impact that you are seeking to make or that you are making. I think that's great advice because not everybody will be, as you said, in interested or invested in the work that you're doing. I mean, as, mm -hmm. but the people that are, those will be the people that are attracted to your mission mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, to help supporting the work that you're doing, but it's if when you look at at grant makers, um, most of the time when you even do a search, that grant maker will have a description of what their focus is. And so, as you said, yep. if somebody's not meeting you halfway, you know that's at that point you have to consider how much energy you want to keep putting into it, and that it's really yep. you not wanting to chase somebody down to make them interested in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Do you feel um, that your social work education and experience in the social work field has strengthened your work in this role as CEO and founder, and do you think it um, strengthens um, the way that people uh, see you or perceive you in, in, in a leadership role? I don't know, because some people don't even know I'm a social worker. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, so I believe that when, when I do tell people that I am a master's level social worker, I believe that my modality and the way that I communicate and address challenges clicks for them. Mm -hmm. I will say that. Okay. Um, and so just turning to the future, um, focusing on the future, what is your vision for your organization as you continue to help individuals build and grow in their careers? What's your vision for 
five years out, ten years out? I certainly want to see my team grow, and I want I want to see our alumni as ambassadors of the organization, as well as employees of the organization. One of my key focus areas right now is to hire some of our students. They, I believe that they will be some of the best teachers because they have, they've experienced the impact of our program model. Mm -hmm. I would love for us to be a national organization where we are situated within small cities like Schenectady, Albany, Troy, and New York. Um, and I certainly would love for us to have more press so when people look us up, uh, they see recent. They see recent press, and I want to see us have stronger partnerships with community-based organizations that are similar to ours. From from co-coordinated programming to co-coordinated fundraising events. Um, I want to see the nonprofit community in the capital region and once I start to learn about other nonprofit communities in other states, I want to see us work together more. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to fundraising, I would love to see us supporting each other more uh, by having co-coordinated events to help members of the community understand our differences and why there are two different organizations that do similar work while also being transparent enough to have conversations about what our financial needs are mm -hmm. and also for us to be able to create a more holistic program opportunity for our students. Because a lot of times the student that's with Mission Accomplished is the student that's with this other organization too. You know, so if we communicate more often, understanding that there's certain information that we can't share with one another. But if we're communicating more often and the student knows that we're communicating more often, um, I feel like that creates a, a stronger safety net for them. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things. I have a whole lot. So tell us, Coach Carmen, how can our listeners celebrate and support you and Mission Accomplished Transition Services and where we can find you online to give? You can support me by following me on LinkedIn and connect, engaging with me on LinkedIn and, um, and Facebook and reach out to me to have conversations about collaboration if our organization's missions align. And you can support Mission Accomplished by following us on, on social media, Instagram, Facebook. And you can financially invest in us by visiting our website at matransitionservices.org. When you get to the home page, there is an invest option. You can click there and then you will see a few options. And I would encourage those individuals who are in a financial position to make significant investments to consider a significant investment to us, although we are a growing, strong organization that may not be able to give you the same type of information that a larger organization can, but I promise you that the money will be utilized in a way that impacts lives for years to come. Well said. Coach Carmen, thank you for sharing today. Thank you so much for your honesty. It has been a pleasure talking with you today. We, we truly appreciate you and all of the meaningful work you're doing. I mean, you're doing incredible work, so thank you so much. And to our listeners, 
Remember to follow us or click that subscribe button and join us next week for another interesting discussion. I'm Michelle Woodard, host and co-producer, bringing you Philanthropy Infusion for new ways to expand giving and infusing equity into your philanthropy. Tune in to Philanthropy Infusion on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud as part of the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast, a Kelson Communications production. Thank you so much, Carmen. Thank you. This was this was wonderful. And thank you for your commitment to equity. Thank you to our listeners. Remember to follow us, click that subscribe button, and join us next week for another interesting discussion. I'm Michelle Woodard, host and co-producer, bringing you Philanthropy Infusion for new ways to expand giving and infusing equity into your philanthropy. Tune in to Philanthropy Infusion on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud as part of the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast, a Kelson Communications, Inc. production.